This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Teal Talk Radio, Season 5, Episode 5. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 5 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funy-Hatton and Randy Ziganfus, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziganfus. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton. Good afternoon, Randy. Good afternoon, Lynn. So today we're speaking with Dr. Marilyn Crawford, and Dr. Marilyn Crawford is the lead design expert for School by Design. Marilyn created the School by Design approach for helping districts and schools use master scheduling as a powerful instructional strategy, making the most of resources to create conditions that support teaching and learning. And School by Design is a platform that helps educational leaders think really differently about master scheduling as a powerful instructional tool and a resource management tool. All right. So looking forward to having this uh, different kind of conversation here. So good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing very well. Thank you. All right. So to start our conversation off, tell us the, the story about how you got connected to this work of helping schools use resources through master scheduling. I was uh, actually was a teacher for a really long time. I taught special education for 17 years, so I'm pretty immersed in the classroom perspective. And in, uh, I hate to say this, but in 1990, I was a principal in Kentucky when the first standards assessment and accountability movement rolled through our state Mm -hmm. and was principal of a middle school that became a nationally prominent middle school for redesign. And um, that's where I really learned the power of using master scheduling as kind of the missing piece of the larger instructional picture. Mm -hmm. So middle school is is a a place that's special in your heart. That's from your background. And is that where you do most of your work now? No, actually, I I work across K-12. Middle school is the place where I started Mm -hmm. this kind of thinking. And I followed that up with being a principal of a of a community-based alternative school where we community-based the credit credentialing. We basically um, offered high school education and credentialing without all courses driven. So we did a lot with performance driven and that was early nineties. So um, then I went on from there, I actually quit the whole thing and went back to school as a older student and went to Vanderbilt and got a PhD full-time, and then left that and ended up working with Vicki Phillips when she was in your state of Pennsylvania in Lancaster, where she was superintendent, and then she was the education commissioner, so did some work on your assessment system at that point, and um, then went out to Portland, Oregon with her and did redesign work there, um, then then um, have ended up, in, in all that time, we were trying to teach other leaders to 
be very aggressive and really understanding the opportunities that are sitting there. There are so many untapped opportunities in our field mm -hmm. and was not able to do it with just talking mm -hmm. and just showing people. So we ended up um, working with a new company called School by Design to build a platform that harnesses the thinking and gives leaders the tools they need to really make the most of what they have. So let's talk about that. Um, certainly leaders and as our resources dwindle, right, we, it becomes even more important to uh, manage the resources that we have, both human and, and financial. So what do you see as some of the most common pain points that schools experience um, through your K-12 experience in making the most of those resources that they have? Uh, the, yeah, it's, it's fairly predictable. The number one pain point is that we don't have a good way to actually see the expenditure. We have a lot of spreadsheets and tracking documents for funds as long as the as our resources are on the dollar side. Once those dollars get converted to time and people, it's that time and people combination that actually is the major actual expenditure. And we don't have good ways to see it in a systematic way. We, if you try to look at it, you can see part of it through the master schedule. But if you try to see it in an analytic way, all you see is just big piles of paper mm -hmm. and reports that are not terribly helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first thing we do is say, let's make you, you education leaders know a lot about how to strategize if they can just see it. But the main thing is you can't see the expenditure. So once you can see the expenditure, then, and that's what we call an audit, basically it's an analytic lens, then you can move into exploring what else you could do with the same resources and tie that to your instructional strategies and what it is you're trying to accomplish for your larger strategy and your larger purposes. Mm -hmm. And so it's, and there are many different pain points that people are addressing there. But what we find is if you can, first, if you can see your current expenditure, then you can see what your actual values are because you can see what you're spending things on now. Then you can explore options to say, what could I do without worrying about whether you want to do it or not, just what, what's possible. Mm -hmm. Then as you start to pick, you're picking from that confluence of looking back, looking ahead, and you're very well informed about your strategy. So let's take uh, these ideas and can you paint a picture or a story or tell give us some examples of some of the the work that you do and what does that look like when you when you go into a school district what kinds of conversations are you having what do you see what do you look for and what are the outcomes of those of that work can you give us some examples you can the first thing we do is collect a lot of data that sits in many different places inside districts that actually doesn't talk to each other and we put, we basically, it's almost like a hopper where you can put all of that data into the same place so that then you can look in a holistic way at what's actually happening. We call that visible insights. It's basically making your current reality visible with a set of, um, by connecting the data and then a set of, of audit reports and analytics that let you see things differently. Um, the next thing we do is what we call um, skilled interpretation, where we have experts that actually help interpret your data so that you can look at um, particularly three lenses, look at it through the lens of efficiency and say, how efficient are you? Are you making the most of what you have? Are you optimizing conditions for teaching and learning or are you going against a brick wall, which is the case in many high schools? 
difficult in some middle schools. And then looking at equity and access, to what extent do all students have an equal, have equal opportunity and all schools have equal opportunity? Mm -hmm. For example, in several, one, one pain point that almost everyone shares is teacher time. So we have um, big demands on teachers. We have a difficult profession. We have a lot of young teachers who are just getting their sea legs in our work. And so we work to work with districts to help them find ongoing, serious, embedded professional development time for teachers where it's part of their regular work, um, not just cobbling it together after school or turning kids loose. So we keep kids in school. We keep them with highly effective teachers that are on staff and have ways where teachers are getting full days of professional development as much as one day a week. Um, hmm. And that some people decide that might be too much, but basically have a rhythm of professional development where we have a staff of teachers called the plus team that has courses and they they or offer supports for kids they can go in and take over so they can take over for an interdisciplinary team they could take over for a department you free up that department then for a full day pd while kids are doing great things that you want them to do and learning what they need to learn hmm. all with the existing resources that's we've that's done that in many different ways uh, done it in high school done it at middle school and actually elementary is really pretty easy so We've done it across the K-12 spectrum. Hmm. And so, that's without touching, we don't touch the teachers, prep, the teachers still get their prep mm -hmm. and it's using existing resources. It's not asking for anything else. Mm -hmm. So a few years ago, we developed a profile of a graduate and in our profile of a graduate, we articulated knowledge, skills, and dispositions for our learners, what we want them to have when they leave us after they graduate, um, you know, 13 years later, K-12. to and like many other districts and and um, educators, we think learning should be personal to the learner, and we're working to become more personalized and working for our, our learning to be more contextualized and relevant to our learners. Can you share any examples of any work around solving challenges related to more personalized learning? We can. We worked with a district in Colorado who was actually one of the national nationally known districts for personalized learning um, just a couple of years ago. And they, they had kept a traditional master schedule, a t traditional design. And, um, and it really doesn't matter which one, whether it's a block schedule or a, what we call a five of seven, where teachers teach five, kids take seven. It, that what they were trying to do to personalized learning was keep moving kids. So they, they were offering courses and they kept the courses being offered. Then they would try to move kids to get them to a different group as their reading levels would increase, as opposed to, to building a flexible design where that flexibility is hardwired in. Um, so that's, there are many places where we've taken that on. One example would be, I'd say Bridgeport, Connecticut High School, where we, create, we worked with them to create ninth and 10th grade teams, interdisciplinary teams, the kids were with those core teams for four days a week. On the fifth day, they take additional electives and support classes. Um, but the teams have four teachers, four groups of kids, so you have infinite flexibility across six periods of the day. Mm -hmm. you can, you're not bound by a bell schedule, mm -hmm. and you're not bound by single subjects. So if you start to look at some of those kinds of flexible designs, then 
then you can really talk about personalized mm -hmm. learning, talk about community-based learning. You have easy ways to put kids in the community doing projects um, for extended the extended period of time it takes. Mm -hmm. What you see often is you'll see people who, who want to do that, but it's in a like a very short period and then the kids have to move. So if you're trying to do personalization or project-based, but it's a 50-minute period, the reality of that infrastructure will collide with the instruction that you're trying to do. You go with your team into a school district that's asked for some assistance in helping them reimagine how they're using the schedule and time and other resources. So what are the strategies from your end, from your perspective, that you could share with us, one or two, of how you move a leader to shift their mindset about using those th those tools? Well, the the baseline, the the most important thing first is to get a baseline where you actually understand what you're doing because it's it's an odd way of thinking really it's not um the current secondary system is so familiar it's what 120 years old now <laughs> and old. we all grew up in it yeah so it's like a fish talking about water it's really hard to see mm -hmm. so the first thing you have to do is be able to see it that it's actually kind of a strange way to do business if you really want to have personalization and if you really want kids to be able to have a wide variety of experiences, you probably wouldn't just slice your day into squares and say at the end of each square, move. Mm -hmm. You would do something mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is to get them to see that. Um, and this comes out of the research base that was in the productive high school with Joe Murphy back in, it was in 2000, but that research base has continued. Um, and it showed that the systems at work are actually responsive. So we help people first see it. Then the second thing we do is to explore freely what you could do with your resources and make it a safe space and a safe zone. If you, if you stay in the mindset of, do I want to do this or not? It's very difficult to actually see options. So we work with people to say, let's just play, kind of like eating chocolate for lunch. You know? <laughs> <laughs> let's just play. And you play in a sandbox environment mm -hmm. and explore what you could do, analyzing the strengths and weaknesses that you see there. And uh, we call that scenarioing. So you run scenarios. And then as you find anything interesting, you can drill down and start to really tighten it, get more real, get closer to thinking about what would that look like if I tried to schedule, um, work with your teacher, teacher leaders, teacher union, uh, work within your budgets, work within your policies, work within your goals, and start to tighten something down that mm -hmm. you see interesting. Mm -hmm. And then you, once you finish that process, you've got a wealth of information for making a decision, and you are then it's like a pre-master schedule build. You're ready to go on your build. Hmm. Yeah, so it sounds like you really try to take a close look at everything, look at um, the resources, get some, take that outside perspective to help us as insiders get a clearer picture of what's actually happening. And then identify ideas to explore and analyze the constraints you have in place, whether it's teachers, um, union contracts, time, money, budget, and um, flush out some more ideas. So it sounds like an interesting process. Yeah, you're hired. That was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so Marilyn, before we invite you to share with us what's next, let's uh, hear a couple of your ideas for our lightning response questions. We ask each guest these questions and uh, we'll share the resources in our show notes so that listeners can have a couple of more places to go for additional information. 
So first, who's one expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about the use of time in schools? Uh, We actually have, I think that we have the lead people in that space actually in the nation on our team. So there are several, several individuals who are school leaders who are just excellent at this. And uh, we could, we could make the connections, but uh, Guillaume Giandre is, I'd say he's the, he's the number one. And and, um, another is Jennifer Frentress, who's actually um, I'd say I got two, we've got two number ones. We think we have the strongest people in the field, actually, for really thinking about time in deep ways. And we have what we call the wisdom of practice. We're practice people. We've done, we've been in districts. We've been in these jobs. We've done it for a really long time. So we've got the war, wound, war wounds to prove it. <laughs> and we have fallen in the potholes ourselves. So mm-hmm. we have actually done this work and we've actually produced schools that work, produced schools that, um, that are, have performed well and have supported personalized learning. They have supported innovation, really. And the more work you do, the more you learn, right? Every context right. gives you more, more learning. Okay, how about um, if you're recommending one book to our listeners, what might that book be? I would actually, it would be a set of books and I would actually look up Joseph Murphy from Vanderbilt University because he does an ethnographic read of research. So he pulls together a broad swath of research, but it's more a narrative form. So it makes it very accessible. And he has work on the two, kind of the two pillars that are um, academic press, which is the academic side and then culture and community. So I would look at those books. Okay, thank you. And last lightning round question, what online site or resource or person um, do you learn from professionally on a regular basis? It's a person and it's been a long time relationship, but the person I still learn most from is Vicki Phillips. And she was in Philadelphia for a while. She was uh, in Lancaster in your part of the woods and then was in Portland. Then she ran the Gates Foundation for... I think eight years, something like that, maybe in that space. But uh, she's still my, the number one person I've really learned from because she keeps things seated in the very big picture. Mm -hmm. And this infrastructure work always has to be seated. It's never done in isolation. It's always done for a purpose. And so um, keeping it in context is hugely important. Okay. We'll include those links in our show notes. Thank you. So for our final question, Marilyn, what's next for you? What are you working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, we're basically working on how do you scale and make sustainable the kind of thinking that will let leaders truly make the most of what they have and give students the opportunities that we talk about wanting them to have, but we really want them to have. So I'm very committed. It's actually mission-driven work for me. And very committed to moving school by design and finishing this platform so that you know every everyday schools and everyday districts can actually really do what it is they say they want to do. All right. Well, thanks very much for spending some time with us this afternoon. You are welcome. To learn more about Marilyn's work, you can visit some of the links in the show notes. You can follow Marilyn on Twitter, check out the School by Design website, and also learn more about some of the experts she mentioned, Guillaume Jandre, Jennifer yeah. Frentress, Joseph Murphy, and Vicki Phillips. 
So each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation. This episode's question, how might you begin redesigning the structures of your school? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season five, episode five. Double fives there, Marilyn. There you go. That's all for this episode. We'll be back soon with more conversations featuring another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Marilyn. Thanks, Marilyn. Bye-bye. Welcome. Bye-bye. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.